This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I want you guys to stand to your feet with me really quickly. Is that okay? Yeah, we can just maybe just put that podium right up here. And uh, I want to just share some words on my heart. Yeah, pastor's right on the way here. I just started feeling not well. I kept my head down. This is great. This is great. I don't even need the stool now. I feel so much better. Chris, we just put that up here behind me, maybe. And uh, I literally kept my head down for about two hours just so I wouldn't uh, puke in the car. Is that too real for you? <laughs> so, um, but I feel so much better now. Thank you, brother. That, that'll work great. Maybe get a marker for me. And if we get that far, we'll use it if we use it. Thank you, sir. Well, Pastor, I just want to say I want to honor you, your wife, your team, and your church for having me here. Man, I know there's a lot of people, thank you, man, um, that you can have come and just honored um, that you called and asked me to come. They actually asked me for two nights, tonight and tomorrow night, but tomorrow I turn 40 years old. And so my wife was like, you can't be gone on your birthday. So as much as I love you, you know, I had to honor my wife and stay home. So I was like, all right, babe. I'll go down for one night, and we'll, and we'll shoot straight back. So I know she had some stuff planned, and um, I mean, you can't blame her. She wants to hang out with me, you know. I mean, I, that's right. So like she can't. I love telling our church, a lot of people, um, they always get me confused with two people. One is Dwayne Johnson when I travel. You see, they see the between, it's between Dwayne Johnson or Mowgli. And somewhere, most of the time it's Dwayne Johnson, but sometimes it's Mowgli. But you can understand my wife wanting to be with me, so there you go. That's my... That's my one joke that you're probably going to get tonight, but, um, but really just honored to be here. I want to honor you, and I believe that um, this region has a gift that was given to them. Everybody say this. Say, say God the Father gave gifts, and those can be found in Romans 12. Yeah, watch this. Say God the Spirit gave gifts. Those can be found in 1 Corinthians 12, right? You know those? Yeah. But what nobody talks about a lot is the whole Trinity gave gifts. Each person of the Trinity gave gifts. And God the Son gave gifts. And that can be found in Ephesians 4. And it says, and he gave gifts unto them in the form of apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teachers. And... A pastor or a leader in a church, you can't pay them to do what they do. You, you just can't do it. So a pastor is not somebody you go find. A pastor is a gift given to you by the Son. And this region has been given a gift by the Son. So why don't you do this with me? I want to put me along with you guys to your pastors, the leaders of this house, I want to put my hands together and just celebrate the gift of God that's given in this region. Pastor A, you and your wife. I want to honor you guys. I want to honor you guys. Well, I'm going to just dive right on in. Is that okay? And uh, would you guys give me permission not to be churchy? Come on. This is my sixth time. It's my sixth time preaching in about a week and a half. And just give me permission not to be churchy. If you let me be me. You'll get the best out of me, and uh, you can feel free to talk back. But I got, 
um, a few different Bible verses. Uh, to pre- and uh, I may re- even read one or preach one that you may have never even heard before. But um, uh, just let me skip around. One, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1. I can quote these to you, but I'll make it a legal service. You know, in America, you have to read the Bible for it to be a legal service. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many Bible passages you quote, how many people get healed, you have to read the scripture for it to be a legal service. But um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, this is what it says. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our Likeness, You see that? So then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The first part of verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Now let's look at Isaiah 62, 2 through 4. Isaiah 62, 2 through 4. Thank you, Lord, for healing. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 62, 2 through 4. Actually, Isaiah 62, maybe verse, just verse 4. Let me do that. Isaiah 62, verse 4. This is Isaiah speaking as a prophet to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says to them. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore um, be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hepzibah. Everybody say Hepzibah. Hepzibah. And your land shall be called Beulah. And then he tells you what those two terms mean. For the Lord delights in you. That is what Hepzibah means. If you look it up literally in a concordance, it'll say that. And Beulah means in your land shall be married. Uh, maybe one more. Matthew chapter 3. And then uh, I got a witness in the back. Matthew chapter 3 and uh, Verse 13 through 17, and, and then I'll share some gospel with you. Matthew 3, 13 through 17, reads like this. And Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but yet you, Jesus, are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to John, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed him. And when John had baptized Jesus, Jesus coming immediately from the water, behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And I want you to hear this, verse 17. This is, this is worth your memory tonight. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Papa, may your word speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Everybody say this. Say identity. Come on, one more time. Say identity. Um, from the start of the Bible, if you started reading 
one of the first traps that Satan used with humanity, it was the trap of broken identity. Very plainly, the Bible says, Pastor A, that God made mankind, male and female, in his own image. And then it says this, and he made them in his likeness. I wasn't there, but I'm going to watch it on DVD when I get to heaven. I want to see the whole creation narrative take place. Because you know God got it recorded somewhere for us to watch, right? And I I, want to get there and I want to watch how he did the things that he did. If you will, use your childlike imagination with me. God steps out of nowhere onto the corner of nothing and starts speaking. And out of the depth of his being, he spoke. And Hebrews 11 and 3 says that God created the worlds with his words. No, I said God created the worlds with his words. And when Abba wanted something, when Papa wanted something, he simply spoke it. And out of his desire, he spoke. And out of his speaking, it came into being. This is the creative expression of a loving father. When God wanted mountains and animals and sun and moon and stars, he didn't use his hands to create those things. He used his words to create those things. Because watch this. Our father doesn't speak just to communicate. He speaks to create. No, Selah. Pause calmly and think about what you just heard. Our father doesn't speak merely to, cre- uh, to, to communicate. He also speaks to create. And when God wants something, he doesn't just tell the thing he wants to come into being. The Bible says this. He speaks to the thing that's holding it to release it. So when God wanted animals, he didn't say animals come forth. He spoke to the thing that was holding animals. They literally came out of the dirt. When God, when God wanted plants and vegetation, he didn't say plants come forth. He spoke to the thing that was holding them or keeping them back. He spoke to the earth and out of the earth they came. When God wanted fish, he didn't say let there be fish. He spoke to the thing that was holding them, the waters, and then the waters begin to teem with fish. Anytime God wanted something, he spoke to the thing that was holding it. So when God wanted animals, he spoke to the earth, vegetation to the earth, fish to the water, sun, moon. He spoke literally to the heavens and all of those things that God did in his first five days of creation, he spoke, he used his words and it was powerful. You could see angels just standing on the balconies of eternity going, wow, look at Yahweh do what he does using his words. But then on day six, he shifts everything up and then all of the Trinity gets involved. And he said, now, this next thing I'm fixing to do, I'm not going to use my words on it because I want my fingerprint to be on this next thing. And God had a committee meeting with himself and he said, hey, self, let us father, son and spirit. Let us make mankind in our own image. And it'll been the first thing that God made. The angel said, hold up now. He's never made anything in his image. Not us as angels, not trees, 
Not none of the animals, not none of the stars. But yet he says he wants to put his image on this next thing. Oh, I got to see this. And God didn't speak humans into existence. (laughs) But with his own hands, he made a body for us. It's so quiet in here, I can hear a moth pee on a cotton ball right now. (laughs) And God, watch this, he made our bodies out of dirt, but our spirits, we came from him. Because we literally came out of him. God, if he, if, he, if he chose to do it, as it were, the Bible says he breathed into man. After he makes Adam's body, he leans over Adam's face and goes, and Adam, and the first thing Adam saw was a church service. No. He locked eyes with Papa. First person he saw was a father. And the father undergirded his son's identity, letting him know, I made you in my image and my likeness. And then the Bible says the same after every creation. When he told Adam that and that he was made in his image and his likeness, wrapping up day six, then the gospel says this. And God saw that it was very good. Now. We don't know how long they would have been hanging out in the garden before it happened, but you know the story. Adam and Eve are hanging out, and they run into a what? Now, is it uncommon to find a snake in a garden? That wouldn't have been uncommon. What would have been uncommon is this snake talks. I would have been like, hold up now, boss. Now, how are you talking? Or maybe Adam had such dominion over the earth that he could speak to all of God's creation. It wouldn't have been uncommon. But the serpent, through the seed of suggestion, made Adam and Eve think they had to work for something that was already given. This is the essence of religion. He said, God knows in the day that you eat of this fruit that your eyes will be open. You'll know the difference between good and evil, and you'll be like God. And they said, oh, he made her think that God was holding something back from her. He made her think that her father was keeping something back from her. And she thought, well, if I go and partake of this fruit, I can get something that God himself hadn't given me yet. I could even be like him when the scripture already told us she already was. Isn't that the essence of religion? Do in order to become. No, listen. The essence of religion is do in order that you might become. Satan convinced Adam and Eve both that God has something you don't have and you can get it or become it if you do this thing. But they... Fell into sin by trying to become who they already were. Are you hearing it? Are you seeing it? If you're taking notes, write this down. We are not human doings. 
We are human beings. Now they say the hunting's good when it's quiet because it's definitely quiet up in here right now. It is not called the be attitudes in scripture or the do attitudes. It's called the what? Be attitudes. It's not the do attitudes. It's the be attitudes. The highest level of blessing in the scripture is not for you to do a blessed thing. It is for you to be a blessing. So in the West, we are consumed with doing, doing, doing. Some of the greatest words of religion is try harder, do more. Try harder, do more. Pray harder, do more. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a never-ending rat race. But I believe today I want to try to solidify your identity into what Christ has already done for you. We would say we believe the finished work of the cross, but there's so much stuff that's left undone. We say things like this, Christ did it, but now you got to go and do. Then what did he not do well? <laughs> so I want you to buckle up your seatbelts because we're going to encounter a little bit of turbulence, but I believe some freedom will come to us tonight if we can listen to what God is saying here. So God made humans in his image and in his likeness, and then the Father spoke over them and told them that they were good. Notice that Adam and Eve did not name themselves. God named them. God made this enunciation over them that they were good. All through Scripture, God is always telling his people who they are. He says things like you're holy. He says things like you're righteous. He says things like you're chosen. He says things like you're peculiar. He says things like you're blessed. He says things like you're the head and not the what? You're blessed and not what? Cursed. You're blessed in the city. He says you're blessed in the field. And God makes all of these enunciations over his kids the same way you and I do over our kids. And I want to I want to submit this to you tonight. I don't believe God says this over and over and over through these 66 books of the Bible because he doesn't believe it. I believe he has said over and over and over to us because sometimes the truth is we don't believe it. But like a loving father, he keeps telling us who we are, who we are who we are and who we are. Fast forward, you get to the days of Isaiah and they were in captivity as it were, broken down, they felt desolate and they felt forsaken and God speaks through Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, I want you to tell Israel this. Tell them that they are Hepzibah to me and that they are Beulah to me. And literally, the term Hepzibah means, y'all remember what it means? We read it. It means you're God's pleasure, essentially. Right? You are my delight. And God said, tell them that they are my delight. Oh, my. Listen, when this revelation hit my heart, I don't, I don't preach stuff that preaches well. I only teach stuff that lives well. Look, I don't I don't even preach for response. I preach for results. There's a lot of stuff I shouted over. I waved hankies and threw babies, but it didn't change my life. Right. And so I'm going to I'm going to do my best to deposit something to you that legitimately could change your life. 
I want you to see yourself the way your heavenly father sees you. He says, you're made in my image. You're made in my likeness. He called them good. And now he comes through Isaiah, this eagle-eyed prophet. And he says, don't you know that you're my delight? See, I grew up in a religious environment where we always focused on sin. It was don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Don't go to hell. You want to go to heaven. Everything was works-based. They wouldn't have said that, but everything was works-based. Right. And they told me things like this. You can delight yourself in the Lord. Psalms 37 and four. Yes, I can. But let me tell you something they never told me. Hold on. You could delight in the Lord. Of course, I can delight in the Lord. He's perfect. Of course, I can delight in the Lord. He's never lied. Of course, I can delight in the Lord. He has all strength. Of course, I can delight in the Lord. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want somebody like that on their team? You can delight in the Lord. But what religion never let me do and what they never told me was not only can I delight in the Lord, they never told me that he delights in me. And the reason they never let me believe that is because I wouldn't believe that because I know what I think that you don't know I'm thinking. I know my own shortcomings. I know my own faults, my own fears. I know my own my own insecurities. But Isaiah says, I'm not trying to tell you that you can delight in the Lord. We all know that. Who can't? But what I want you to know is the gospel, why it really is good news, is because God himself chooses to delight in you. You ready for this? John 15, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Hold up. You chose me. But you know I struggle with pornography, but I still choose you. You know I struggle with insecurity, but I still choose you. You know I struggle with false humility, right? But I still choose you. You know I come out of a family. We were, listen, from the age of 15 to 18, I live without electricity. You know that, right, God? But I still chose you. You know I got a seventh grade education on paper, right? Yeah, but I still chose you. You know I'm Native American, Lumbee Indian from a little town in North Carolina called John Station that nobody knows. That's got to be less than Nazareth. Like if any good thing can come out of that, ain't nothing can come out of John's stage. That's who I am. God, you know that, right? You know, my dad was a pastor for 22 years and married for 28 and divorced my mom because of infidelity. You know that, right? Yeah, but I know all your stuff. And I still choose you. Wes has a son named Luke that I love immensely. Like he's my fighting buddy. He just turned five a few days ago. If I had to say, Wes, name me one thing you think your son could ever do that could ever stop him from being your son, he could never name it. I have a son who turns 10 in a little over a month. My baby girl's eight. No matter what they do in life, they may disappoint me, but they will never not be mine. Because in the kingdom, you never can become dissunned or disowned. I said they may disappoint me, but I'll never disown them. No matter what brokenness appears through their life, they'll always be mine. And the beautiful thing about our identity, guys, is your identity is not yours based off what you do. Do you know the day that my son was born, I held him before my wife did. 
And they put him in my arms. And I'm telling you, he's, you know, 30 seconds old. They wipe him off, throw him in my arms. And I immediately start saying, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud. And I'm weeping. I'm like, I'm proud of you. I don't even know where it came from. Like I wasn't planning this speech when my son was born. But really, it was Abba's heart coming out of me. And I'm going, I'm so proud of you. He hadn't hit one home run. Anybody got any kids that have been in kindergarten? You know they bring home them ugly photos they color. And we all tell lies that we say things like, oh, that is so amazing. <laughs> you lying through your thing? You know that's a hot mess. Come on, but that's your posterity. They made it, and it's awesome to you. He hadn't done anything yet, and I'm already saying, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You're mine. No home runs. No straight A's. He hadn't committed. He hadn't, he hadn't completed any school projects, but that boy was mine. And I spoke his identity on him before he ever did anything. I said, honor your mind. I love you. You'll never have to work for my approval. You'll never have to work for my affection. You are my, you are Hepzibah to me. And I take delight in you. So God says, you're made in my image. You're made in my likeness. And then he called him good. Isaiah says, let me get it. If you ain't got it yet, let me sell it, tell it to you. You are Hepzibah to me. You're my delight. Like, whoa, I'm God's delight. God doesn't take delight in waterfalls. God doesn't take delight in beaches. God doesn't take delight in going to the mountains. God doesn't take delight in amazing, as amazing as the sun is. Do you know what the Bible says God takes delight in? Human beings. <laughs> Human beings. If you were God, would you take delight in us? But God does. That still moves my heart. God, you, you choose to do that. When I know me and you still said, I'm still choosing you. So God, in essence, is saying, in light of all of your inadequacies, in light of all of your limitations, in spite of all your sins, I still choose you. And this is why the gospel is powerful. My identity was not given to me based off my strength, based off the size of my checkbook, based off the size of my knowledge, or based off my accolades. Before we did anything, God said, I choose you. And if you don't believe that, look no further than Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, before I formed you. What? Before I formed you in your mother's womb. I already chose you. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. You were chosen before you were born. And what? Hold on. No, 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 no. Listen. So if I was chosen before I was born, that must mean that I existed before I existed. And not only did he say I chose you before you were born, he said I even called you <laughs> before you were born. I was called before, chosen before identified before and whatever God chose me identified me and called me to do before I got here then nothing I do once I get here can ever change God's mind about those things look look that's called mic drop (laughs) 
I am God's pleasure. God takes delight in humanity. Do you know the problem with most Christians in America? Can I tell you? We've only learned the Bible from people here in the West. We're reading the Eastern book through a Western lens. It's a big problem for us. So I still say out of 16 countries that I've been to, the, the most religious place on the earth is, is, is the, 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 the county that I grew up in. They would say things like this. Here we preach the word. No, what they were saying is they preach the Bible. Those people, never, I, I never heard them say they preach Jesus, but they preach the Bible. It's quiet now. They would say, we love the word. I never heard them say they love Jesus, though. They love the word, but then they beat down people whose lives aren't perfect. But Jesus never did that. But the Pharisees did that all the time. Every person Jesus of Nazareth saved in the scripture, every person that he personally saved, he wasn't saving people like from a, a, you know, a violent murderer or, or this, this violent rapist or something running through the community. You know who Jesus saved people from? Religious rulers who were using the word of their day to literally kill people with. That's who Jesus stepped in and saved 100% of the time in the, in, in, in the book that we call the Bible. And our theology started, watch this, our theology of ourselves starts in a garden with a man falling into sin. And that's the problem. Because let me read to you Ephesians chapter 1. I actually had this one down and didn't read it. Let me read it to you. This is, the, this is a big deal for me in regards to identity. I teach my kids this, this, this kind of stuff right here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Let me, 3, 4, and 5 maybe. This is what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where? In Christ. So watch this. You don't ever got to try to get a blessing because you already got all the blessings. Because it's called the finished. Anyway, it all goes back to that. Now, this same God and Father, watch this. Verse 4. Just as he, the Father, chose us, that's you and me, in him, that's Jesus. Did you see that? Just as he, God the Father, chose us, that's you and me, in him, that's Jesus. Watch this. So, let me break this down for you. He chose us in him. Now, watch the when. We are the who, watch the when, before he made. Do you understand that God the Father said, I'm choosing you before I take two pieces of dirt to put together to form the foundation of the earth? He said, I choose you before that. He chose us before the foundations of the world. Watch this here. Now, this is so beautiful to me. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He said, I will forever see you as being this. Holy and without blame before me in love. So watch this. The where is that you were chosen in the sun. The when is that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. And the why is so that I might establish your identity as being holy and without blame. And all of those were given to us before we ever did anything. Jesus, man. 
And do you know why God did this? Verse 5. And he pre, which means before, destined, which means finished. He finished our destinies before to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He said, this was my good pleasure to do this for you. You are my good pleasure and to give you good things is what I desire. Now, remember the problem I said where I grew up in most of the West, actually, our theology starts with us falling in a garden. But that's the problem. We didn't go back far enough. Paul said, by way of revelation, let me tell you what I found out. I saw you before you ever existed on the earth. He said, the father showed me, and Paul wrote this to Ephesus. He writes this in Colossae. He said, the father showed me us before the worlds were ever even created. And we weren't lost somewhere just floating around. He said, but by way of adoption, he said, I saw us in his son. And in the son, he said, we were without blame and we were holy standing before him. You ever felt like, man, what would I feel like if I ever stood before God? I can answer that question boldly today. He would be holy and without blame before him because we stand before the father in the son. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this next quote down. We are all sons in the son. We are sons in the son. I said, we are sons in the son. No, I'm not alcoholic. No, I'm not porn addict. No, I'm not gossiper. No, I'm not the adulterer. No, I'm not the insecure one. Those might be real incidences from your life, but those never have the right to define you. It is the sole right of the producer to tell the product what it is. And he says, you're good, you're holy, you're without blame, you're accepted. It is the sole right of the creator to tell the creation what it is, who it is, how it is the function. He says, you're mine. He says, you are my delight. He says, I'm married to you. I'm in covenant with you. He calls you chosen. So why do we let things that didn't create us define us? Never let something that you do tell you who you are. Right? I say it this way. See, we say things like this. Your who flows out of your do. That's wrong. Your identity doesn't flow out of what you do. Really, your do is supposed to come out of your who. When you find out who you are, then you'll find out what you're supposed to be doing. So nobody in the room is a fireman or a doctor or a lawyer. Watch this. Those are simply things you do. But who you are is your sons and daughters. I'm a son and a daughter, but I happen to build. I'm a son and a daughter. And I happen to preach. I'm a son and a daughter, and I happen to do leadership coaching. But I'm a son and daughter first. Because I'm not a human doing. I'm a human what? I'm a human being. And out of my being, I do. Where do I draw my being from? Well, what did the Father announce over me as a son? 
I'm made in his image and his likeness. <laughs> so every false label that doesn't line up with what God said about me, I'm learning to let it go. Regardless of how true it appears to be in my life, I'm learning to let it go. Right. So so my 12 year porn addiction, boy, that that thing was very, very real to me. It was factual, but it wasn't truth. It was factual. I did it, but it wasn't truth. Did you hear what I just said? Because truth in the spirit realm is on a on a higher plane than facts. And facts will never change truth, but truth will always change facts. But Lord, I sure don't feel pure, but you call me that. You call me pure. And I just keep ingesting that truth. I keep, I keep ingesting what he's telling me until eventually what has always been objectively true of me becomes subjectively true of me. Until eventually my earthly experience on earth lines up with what's happening and what's always been true of me in heaven. Are you hearing this? I am God's delight. Can somebody come back up on the keys for me? Let's begin to play softly for a minute. I want to read this to you, the baptism of Jesus, and I'm going to give you one last truth. This, see, you know what? One of, one of the things that we haven't done well in our country is that we know, like, if I say Billy Graham, I don't know, T.D. Jake, Stephen Furtick, whoever the, big, the next big guy is, we know all of these guys, but we don't know St. Athanasius. We don't know Maximus the Confessor. We don't know Gregory of Nyssa. We don't know St. Simeon. We don't know Polycarp. We don't know Irenaeus. And these, ugh, these are fathers in church history that actually fought for us to have this book right here. And they, the way they read it and the way they taught it is polar opposite with the way we do today. And this one truth that I'm fixing to drop on you and I am done for the night, I want to give it to you for free. Sometimes we have to let the Lord tip over our sacred cows. Watch this. So we can once again behold the lamb. That, Pastor Josh, that was a really good point. Thank you. Thank you. I said sometimes we have to let the Holy Spirit tip over our sacred cows so we can once again behold the lamb. Behold the lamb that what? Takes away what? Do you believe he did that? Now, I ask you a question. Do you believe he did that? Do you actually believe that Jesus took away the sins of the world? Do you know world there in the Greek is the word cosmos? Do you know that that means every created thing? Do you actually believe that Jesus took away the sin of the whole cosmos? Most people don't believe that. If he took it away, that means how can it still be if he did it? I'm going to really mess with you now. Cow tipping, here we go. Jesus forgave sins before he ever went to the cross. Jesus Christ forgave sins before he shed one drop of blood. How is that possible? You're probably thinking, I've never heard that. Yeah. How many people did Jesus ever walk up to and say, if you say this prayer, I'll jump into your heart and, and I'll be your Lord and Savior? He never said it, did he? You don't find in early church history either, by the way. But let me tell you what you do find. You do find Jesus of Nazareth walking up to broken people and without them even knowing the Romans roved. Oh, my. You want to you get me upset? Without them knowing all the stuff we made up in the last 200 years in our country, 
He would walk up to prostitutes and lepers and tax collectors. And he would say, your sins are forgiven you. And the room would go up in an uproar. And everybody would love it except for the religious rulers. They hated him for it. Because they had took the scriptures and they weaponized them. You know what the term Pharisee means? Look up, like, look, Google the term Pharisee in the, in the Greek and watch what it means. It literally means separated ones. They viewed themselves as being separated from everybody else. And what they specialized in is taking the scriptures and separating people from God. They were specialists at it. They used the scripture and they separated people from God until one day the word of God in person showed up. And everybody that they had used scripture to separate from God, the word of God came and he said, you've done it wrong. He would say things like this. I know Moses told you, but now I'm telling you. Don't, don't ever forget this next statement. Scripture must always bow its knee to Jesus because Jesus is the word of God. So Jesus would say, I know Moses told you. I know it's been said unto you, but now I say it was the word of God exerting his authority over the scripture. And until you let Christ be the lens through which you view this book, we will always read it wrong. So the early fathers taught this amazing principle. Jesus is getting ready to be baptized. And man, something majestic is about to happen. The first place in what would go on to be the new covenant the Trinity is the fixing to appear at one place at one time. You have the Son, the sinless Son of God, coming down to the waters of baptism. And John the Baptist is baptizing people. He'd been baptizing for six months, Chris. And for six months, he had been saying, I baptize you with water unto repentance. And then he would say this, but there's coming somebody. And man, when he comes... He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he just keep baptizing people and baptize. And every once in a while he would stop and he would say, I'm baptizing you guys with water to repentance. But there's coming somebody. And you can see he's just arousing in people this desire. Like, who is John talking about? And one day over those Judean hills comes a Nazarene. He was actually John's cousin. And John saw him coming. See, the last time that John had seen Jesus he saw him in the water, in the water of his mother's womb. And John was in the water of his mother's womb, and Jesus was in the water of his mother's womb. And when they met, you remember that story when they met? The Bible says John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb. And now he's meeting him again in these waters. And the sinless Son of God is coming down in a sinner's baptism. The only problem was he never sinned. And John the Baptist tells the Christ, he said, you come to me for me to baptize you. He said, I need what you have. I need what you have, Jesus. And Jesus says, John, permit it to be so now. He says, I need you to baptize me. You'd never heard this a day before in your whole life. Listen, he said, you need to baptize me. Why? He said, because I'm fixing to fulfill all righteousness. 
for every human being, past, present, and future, for every blade of grass I ever created, for every star that ever stood in the sky, for every piece of wind that would ever blow, for every leaf on the tree, for every created thing. I'm fixing to fulfill all righteousness, John. And upon hearing that, John says, essentially, how can I not do it? And a sinful man grabbed a sinless man who he himself declared to be the Lamb of God that would take away the what? You know what Israel knew? Israel knew that the tribe of Israel had a lamb. Israel knew that the individual tribes had lambs. Israel knew that every individual in Israel would bring a sacrifice for their own sin in the form of a lamb. Israel knew that even the priests of Israel had lambs. But what Israel didn't know is that God had a lamb. And they didn't know the power of his blood. See, watch the progressive revelation of Scripture. In the Garden of Eden, it was, we believe it to be, a lamb for Adam and one for Eve. One animal per one individual. And they were forgiven. But watch the progression. By the time you get to Exodus, it's now one lamb, not for an individual. It's a lamb for a whole house. See it? From one lamb covering one person's blood to now one lamb covering the whole sin of a whole house. By the time you get to Leviticus, Pastor A, it's not the lamb for an individual. It's not a lamb for a house. It's now a lamb for a nation. You see the progression there? Oh, but by the time you get to the Gospels, when John sees Jesus coming, he doesn't say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of a man. He doesn't say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of a house. He doesn't say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of a nation. He doesn't say, behold, the Lamb of God that does any of those things. He said, this is the Lamb of God that's coming to take away the sin of the whole And that's why John said, you come to me. I need to be coming to you. He said, baptize me because I'm fixing to fulfill all righteousness. And a sinless man goes down in, in the waters of all sinners. Why is this important? Because the Bible said, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, God took him who knew no sin. Knew is the same term for Adam knew Eve. It's the term of intimacy. God took him who was never intimate with sin and made him to be sin for us that we through him might now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? God took him who knew no sin and made him to be sin for us that we through him might now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the reason Jesus had to be baptized is I want you to hear this. And, I'm, and I'm, this, is, this, this is my point and I'm done. You and I believe that you were all in Adam when he sinned. We teach this in Bible school all the time. We pass it out like Sunday morning Captain Crunch cereal. We say things like this. In Adam's fall, you sinned all. Truth. But what we haven't never taught is we, we won't, we're afraid to say this, but I, I'm turning 40. I'm too old to placate people in church anymore. We failed to teach the gospel because we still teach that what Adam did is stronger than what Jesus did. Read Romans 5. He does a comparison between Adam and Christ. And he said, if one man's disobedience could put the whole world or every man in, in a place of condemnation, 
You did not become a sinner because you sinned. You and I were considered sinners because who we were in and we were in Adam. His one act of disobedience condemned the whole world. But then comes the last Adam. First Corinthians 15, not the second Adam or the third or the fourth. He's called the last Adam. Last in the Greek is the word eschatos. That's where we get eschatology, last day teachings, end time teachings. He said, I'm going to tell you about the last Adam. I'm going to tell you about the eschatos man. You believe you were in the first Adam when he sinned? But we don't believe we're in the last Adam. Nobody has been born into the first Adam for 2,023 years because Jesus completely eradicated that Adam. You can't be born into nobody but this one. But church wouldn't let us believe that. Watch it now. Watch this. He says, by one man's act of obedience, by one man's act of disobedience, the whole world was condemned. He said, now, by one man, and that, and that man is, is capital when you read it in your Bible. It's the man. By one man's act of obedience, many will be made righteous. What many? The same many that were made sinful. Jesus Christ, whenever you see him on the pages of the scriptures, he was symbolic of all mankind the same, same way Adam, Adam was. That's why Jesus getting baptized wasn't just the sinless son of God getting baptized. The early fathers taught it was all humanity getting baptized there. And when Jesus got baptized, you have the son of God in the water. And I don't know how graduations happen here in Texas, but North Carolina, when you when when you get when you get graduate, when you graduate, they always say this, don't nobody cheer for your child your child until everybody walks across stage. Fat chance in that happening. Please. Man, when I walked across that stage, my family erupted because they knew that was a miracle. They just they knew that that is God. And you ain't supposed to say nothing. And they people say, Yeah, Josh, we love you, man. I'm snotting. God got so excited. The father, when his son got baptized, he said, I can't contain my joy anymore. And he burst through the heavens. He said, that's my boy in whom I'm well pleased. Try reading that in the Greek. And really the father is saying, over all of humanity in the son, I'm so pleased with you. And all of humanity got to experience the baptism of Christ. And when the father spoke his pleasure over the son, here's what you got to get now. If it's true of the son, it's true of you. How the father feels about Jesus, his only begotten son, is how he feels about every single one of us in the room. That's raw gospel. <laughs> to the same degree the father in heaven loves his only begotten son, to that same degree he loves us. And when he spoke his pleasure over the son in baptism, he was literally speaking his pleasure over you. This is the words of Psalms 149 and 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he adorns them with salvation. For the Lord takes delight in his people. You are his delight. This is the truth of Psalms 18 and 19. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because the Lord delights in me. This is the truth of Psalms 147 and 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who reverence him. This is the truth of Numbers 14 and 8. For if the Lord delights in us, 
Will he not bring us into this land? It is no longer a question if the Lord delights in you. He said I made you in my image. He said I made you in my likeness. He said over us that we were good. He said that we were his delight. If it's true of his only begotten son, it's also true of us at baptism. He said I'm well pleased in you. And from that day to this one, he said I chose you before I formed the foundations of the world. I've chose you in my son before you hit one home run, before you knew the sinner's prayer, before you knew how to pray, before you knew how to fast, before you knew how to do worship, before you knew how to quote scripture, before you knew how to do a good church service, I had already chosen you. And I chose you specifically before you did anything because I never wanted you to think that my affection toward you was based on how good of a church boy or how good of a Christian boy or girl you could be. Jesus, listen guys, Jesus The father spoke over Jesus that he was pleased with him before he ever did one miracle, before he ever raised the dead. Here you go, Chris. Before he did anything, the father said, I'm pleased with you. Why? Because he never wanted him to think you have to work for my approval or my affection. Ephesians 1 6 says you and I have already been accepted in the beloved. But you know what we've done in our country? We've tried to make people work for our Heavenly Father's acceptance. And that, my friend, is heretical on every single end. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the Father right now to release his pleasure over you. I'm going to ask him to release his pleasure over you. If there is any identity in this room and you've ever thought, I got to work for his affection. I got to work for his approval. If I pray more, he'll see me. If I fast more, he'll see me. If I quote more scripture, he'll see me. If I do all the stuff, I'm telling you, he sees you as you are right where you are. He sees you as you are right where you are. He chose Israel in the middle of captivity. He says, even there where you feel desolate, I'm telling you, you're still my pleasure. You feel forsaken, I'm telling you, I'm still in covenant with you. The mindset that you got to do to be accepted. Jesus came and he said, I am forever crushing that. Because when you didn't even know to choose me, I had already chosen you. Jesus. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel, friend. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. Do you guys know how, you know the song Abba? Do y'all know Abba? You know how to sing that song? Play that song? It goes, yeah, she might know. She's got the look. She's got the look. So, I can remember being 18 years old, Pastor A. Not long after my dad and my mom had been divorced, maybe three years or so. I now know I didn't find God because God was never lost. I used to say I found the Lord, but the truth is he was never lost. But in my bedroom that day, I was awakened to the life of Christ that had always been there for me. And I can remember at 18 saying, Lord, I just want to be yours. Then I got in ministry and I got all off track. Instead of praying, I just want to be yours, I started saying, Lord, I want appointments. God, I want to travel. 
I want to, in my immaturity, I said, I want to preach on big stages. I don't ever say that stuff anymore, man, because I could care less about it. I want to, I want to be so enveloped by the fact that I'm God's that every other desire pales in comparison to that. So I can sit at home on my couch at night when my family's sleeping and I can say, I'm your delight. And he could say, you sure are. God doesn't go to Six Flags when he wants to have a good time. Any real parent in the room will tell you this. Some of your greatest delights have simply been you may be holding your kids and just looking in their eyes. But you know the feeling when your kid says, I love you? What, what, what compares with that? God gets his greatest delight when we as kids just say, God, it ain't about me wanting anything from you. I just want you to know I love you. If y'all know that song, you can lead it just for a moment. commission just tell him that tonight that's our prayer that's our prayer Lost 
you just to take a moment church and think about what you just saying Abba I belong to you I guess one of the most securing things that ever happened to me has happened in the last five years I never fear anymore about not belonging to him in Luke 15 there was a lost sheep there was a lost coin and there were actually two lost sons we call it the lost and found chapter in the Bible however the sheep the coin and the two lost boys if you read it right you'll find out they were all displaced but none of them were ever disowned The sheep was lost, but the one who owned it sought it till he found it. <laughs> the sheep lost its place, but it never lost its owner. See, we don't teach that in church. The coin was lost, it was displaced, but never disowned. And contrary to popular belief, there wasn't one lost boy in that story. There was actually two. Watch this. One was lost outside of his father's house. But the other one was actually more lost, and he was in the house. I just want to bring hope tonight. And I want to drive out of your heart the fear that God would ever reject you because you did something wrong. I can't ever think of any reason I would never, ever want my kids to be in my presence for anything that they did. There's always room at the Father's house. As a matter of fact, 
do you know what the father did when his son came back home? If I, if I would have been living back then, I'd have been like, get him, dad. Take him behind the tool shed, dad. Make him tell you everything daddy did. I want him to write it down. We're going to remind him, dad, of every place he missed it. That boy had even wrote a speech out. If you read the scripture, he wrote a speech out. He said, when I get back home, I'm going to tell my dad this. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He thought he could lose his sonship. He said, I won't be your son anymore, but at least make me to be. This is what we do in church. At least let me be a servant. And he worked on that speech until he got to where his dad was. And he sees his dad coming and he thought, this will get my dad right. And he sees his dad coming and he starts his speech. And if you read the Bible in context, the dad jumps in and never even lets him finish his miserable speech. His dad didn't want to hear the fact that I'm no longer going to be called your son. And then you know what his dad did? He didn't do an altar call. For this disobedient, broken, wasteful son. The word prodigal, it really, it means lavish. If I had like $100 bills and I'm doing this, you know what I'm doing with them in room? I'm being prodigal. I'm freely giving them away. That story... This is why you got to read the Bible, really read the Bible. It's not about a prodigal son. It's really about a prodigal father. Let me tell you about the lavishing father who lavishes love on a lost boy. There was really one prodigal in that story, and it was the real prodigal father. He threw a party for him. You want to talk about repentance? (laughs) I know you're broken, but I'm going to throw you a party. Now, we say, well, that don't look right. doesn't matter how it looks. Imagine what it did in the heart of that boy that knew what he had done. And then he's like, Dad, you're doing this for me? Don't you know what, what I've, where I've been and what I've done? He said, go get the fatty calf. You know what the fatty calf was? It's the one that you had reserved for, like, royalty. Like, only, they only had one of those. He said, get it for him. And that boy is going, oh, my gosh. He said, get the best robe in the house. That was dad's robe, by the way. Put shoes on his feet because I don't care where you've been. I am literally giving direction to your steps now. And put a ring back on that boy's hand. And he didn't say wash him first. Because I don't care where you have been. Let's just say his last name was Jones when he left that house. When he came back, I don't care how much sin he had been involved in, his identity in his father's eyes was still the same. That is good news. That is good news. And you had one person who was royally upset in that story. The one who stayed at home, who still didn't understand his father's true identity. And you know what he said? You know why he was upset? He said, Dad, I've been with you all these years. I never left home. And he said, you never threw a party for me. And this is in the Bible. He said, you never so much offered me a goat. And do you know what Papa said to him? Because that is the father speaking to a son. He said, son, all I've ever had is yours. You just didn't ask me for it. This has always been yours. 
And I want you to know tonight, your identity in the Father's eyes toward you has never been in a crisis. And the way he heals our identity is we got to become more confident and what he's done for us by simply knowing what he's spoken over us that healed my heart so i just this is real talk if you if you and yourself know your identity is a little shaken if you've ever struggled with whether or not god loves you whether or not you're accepted like you did the religious thing you fought for favor because you didn't know he already gave it to you religion will make you fight for what's freely given it'll make you pursue what's already yours that's the essence of religion. But this is the finished work of the cross. It is finished. I've given you every blessing, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that pertain to life and godliness. This is still the scripture. If you struggle with any of those things, real talk, I'm going to count to three. Just raise your hand. And I'm telling you, the Lord is going to, I believe, take off every false identity. You are not what you do. You might have done what they said you've done, but that's not who you are. You might have been like me. I did the porn, but I'm not a porn addict. I did the drugs. I'm not a drug addict. I did the alcohol. I had the attitude. I was the gossiper. I spread the lies. Those are all things I did, but those are not none of who I am. I am beloved. Come on, I am accepted. I am God's delight. I am God's Hepzibah. I'm made in his image. I'm made in his likeness. And those things are true of me even when my life doesn't line up to it. One, two, three. It all. If any of those things are you, I want to make this annunciation over you. And we're going to go back into Abba in a moment. Father, right now in Jesus' name, every label every name every false identity that has somehow worked this way into our soul either through a gate or a door that i open or a word that was spoken over me holy spirit would you now by the grip of love reach down into our minds our souls our wills and remove it from us right now in jesus name i give you everything That's not of you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to take it now in Jesus' name. Come on, here's what I want you to do. Come on, nobody's listening to you. I want you to just say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. You know what it is. Go ahead and name it. God, that, that name, that label, that trait, that thing, it might be an addiction. I give that thing to you. And I want you to see the blood of Christ washing over that thing. I'm telling you, you've already been forgiven. You've already been made whole. Jesus has already gone to a cross, but tonight by faith, it becomes your present reality. You are not, oh my God, you are not an orphan in your faith. You have a father that loves you immensely. Just a little bit softly. Ma'am, what is your name? Angela. Angela, I want to pray for you. I feel like the Lord says this, I am going to concrete you in your identity so that, watch this, you'll never be blown over again in regards to who you are. And watch this, how you see yourself. This is going back to your childhood. This is going back to your childhood. I don't know 
everything about your childhood, but I can tell you this, before you were ever even born, you were chosen. Before you were special to anybody else on the planet, I hear Papa saying, tell her she was first special to me. You are his Rose of Sharon. I hear this so strongly in my heart tonight that Abba wants you to know he takes such delight in you. I know that you are a living miracle. I know that you are a living miracle. We say, Angela? Yeah. Angela, you are a living miracle. Wow. Wow. I'm going to touch your left hand. Father, I thank you for your love and your kindness to Angela. Angela, the Lord is literally going to just bathe you in his love for you. The next six months are going to be six months of the Lord just drenching you and engulfing you in who you are. I say that you are beloved. I say that you are accepted. I say that you are chosen. I say that you are special. I say that you are his. I say that you are salt. I say that you are blessed. I say that you are a miracle. And I want to say this. I say of you, you are not your past. You are not your sins. <laughs> you are not your mistakes. Because those are just things you did. And you're not a human doing. You are a human being made in the image of God. Every negative word ever been spoken to you. I just pull it out now. And I almost see like spears that have just pierced your soul. And they have hooks in them. They're hard to come out. But by grace, I just remove those from you now in Jesus' name. I even see your self-esteem being restored. Whoa. I see your self-esteem being restored. Jesus. Jesus. You will be able to look into the mirror and say, I am a beautiful woman. You are a beloved daughter. Jesus. Jesus. And I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to say this. You are not being judged for things you did wrong. No, 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 no. Where sin did abound, grace does the much more abound. Father, I bless Angela, your daughter, now in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody extend your hands toward Angela. Just say, Angela, you're loved, you're beautiful, you are a daughter. There's nothing you can do about it. In Jesus' name. 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 I'm going to just hang out here for a moment. Just as I feel in my heart. Thank you, Lord. Come on, why don't you just minister to the Lord's heart right where you stand. Pastor A, am I okay? I'm okay? All right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Come on, tell him you love him. Jesus, we love you. Lord, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You're amazing and you're wonderful, Jesus. Do we have a Sarah in here at all? It's an odd name. The name Sarah. Have a Sarah in here? What about anybody have a daughter named Sarah? There's just Sarah. What's that? 
What's that? Are you Sarah? Yeah, I just have Sarah just so strongly on my heart. Sarah, I just see joy when I, when I look at you. I just see a lot of joy when I look at you. I felt like the Lord in my heart is saying that I'm going to make Sarah's cup overflow. So that everywhere you go, you leak or you spill or you overflow God's joy everywhere that you go. So don't think it's strange. You just be driving down the road or, you know, walking in your home. And it's almost like waves of joy wash. That's going to be the way the presence of the Lord acquaints himself to you in this season of your life. Like a lot of joy. A lot of joy. But you're going to know who you are. Were you listening tonight? I hope those words seep down in your soul. You are going to be a, ma- listen to what I'm telling you, a major discipler to young women. I believe that what you heard tonight will be a seedbed for the next 10 years of your future. I believe that. I believe that. You'll tell them that they are who they are. And you won't deal with the, f- with the fruit of their life. You'll deal with the root of their life. See, religion always goes after behavior, but it never goes after belief. Yeah? So, so belief, belief is core. And I believe, Sarah, that your joy that's coming to you out of your identity is going to spill over. But Abba is going to root you down so deep into a God-given identity. I see you literally discipling young women into their own identity into who they are in Christ Jesus. So I say this over you, Sarah, Psalms 23, that he, a fresh anointing is gonna come on you. He is going to anoint your head with oil and your cup is going to run over. The psalmist said, he anointed me with the oil of gladness. It's almost like you're gonna be happy over stuff that don't make other people happy. Like, why is she so happy? Because you found out that the joy (laughs) of the Lord is your strength. I see you never being weak because you have a revelation that his joy is your strength. And as long as he has joy, you will have strength. So I'm going to just lay my hand on your right shoulder. Father, come on, send your hands towards Sarah with me. Lord, I just touch Sarah now. In Jesus' name, Sarah, I just declare over you. That the joy of the Lord is your strength. A fresh anointing on you, Sarah. Literally, a fresh anointing to play. I even hear this. A fresh anointing to write. A fresh anointing to write. You will see beyond people's faults and sins, and you will see who they are. You will not know them, Paul said, after the flesh, but after the spirit. When you see these, these young ladies, you will see them for the beauty of who God made them to be. Your first word won't be judgment to them, but you'll pour acceptance on them and watch how their life begins to blossom literally like a rose. You won't be put off by the thorns because you'll see the beauty underneath. Father, I pray that you'll give her eyes to see and ears to hear your voice. Let her cup overflow with your joy. In Jesus' name. I don't know anything about your parents, but 
I know that mantles are always multiplied in the next generation. What was on your parents is going to be multiplied on you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we sing Abba. I belong to you. Come on, can we tell the Lord that? We sing. I belong to you. Hey, hey. Abba. I belong to you. We sing. I belong to Is there a Travis in the room? Is there a Travis? There's Travis, 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 Travis. Does anybody have a son or a brother named Travis? A closer of Travis. Got anybody at all? Want to make sure. So I hear names. And out of that, I'll just minister. I hear Travis. If anybody is in relationship with a Travis, you need to let Travis know that he is beloved. This is what I'm telling you. This happened to me one night at a, at a church service. I leave the church service. I don't know, somebody like Jerome or something like that. And I leave the church service and then go to a gas station. You know, the Holy, the Holy Ghost loves gas stations, right? So I'm at a gas station and get into a conversation with a young man. Guess what his name was? Oh, you're Jerome. He's like, I'm Jerome. I say, man, I've been looking for you. He said, what I do? I say, you ain't do nothing. But Jesus put you on my heart tonight. And I'm supposed to pray. Just starts bawling. Why would Jesus put me on your heart? Because, man, he loves you. This, this is the God that we serve. So let Travis know that he is beloved. If I'm telling Travis, you are beloved. You are Beloved, you are beloved. What's your name, sweetheart? Yeah. Priya. Priya, you know you have a natural sensitivity to the Lord. You just have a natural sensitivity to the Lord. I hear this in my heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God, Matthew 5. And you are going to see God because of the purity of your heart. You're going to see him in some really unique ways. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why, Jesus? For they're going to see God. And as you steward your heart, watch the lenses that you 
look for God for. It's almost like they're going to become more clear. Like I get a picture of like, like you're looking through binoculars and it can be blurry, but you just turn the knob a little bit and what was once blurry becomes very, very clear. And you're going to have some real clear encounters with the Lord that are going to mark your life. Even into the ages of you being a grandparent. And you're going to literally give those stories away. Your testimonies will become the floor that your kids and your grandkids end up standing on one day. Write down your encounters with the Lord because they will pay off big time in the future. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And one day your history, it becomes his story. Like your family will read it. So I want to say over you, I'll, let me just step out on faith and say, what I, and say what I really hear in my heart. Your faith journey will be chronicled. That means you are going to be asked to do some things that seem a lot larger than you. But that's okay. That's why it requires faith. And history never remembers the people who didn't go for it. History doesn't talk about the people that sat on the sidelines. Have you, did you grow up in church? You've heard the story of the, the two spies that went to the promised land, right? What were their names? Remember their names? Moses sent them in there. One's name was Joshua. The other's name was you know there were 10 others, but we don't know their names. But you know their names are right there with the rest of them, right? Their names are written right beside Joshua and Caleb. But nobody remembers the ones who was not willing to go for it. I'm telling you, swing for the fences. God is going to dip into your heart some things to do. It's like, well, I don't know about that. That seems huge. No, swing for the fences. Because it'll be by faith. Your story's going to be chronicled. Write down your personal encounters with the Lord. And one day, you'll give them away to your own posterity. Father, I bless your daughter tonight. I thank you that you've given her a pure heart with which she shall see God. You're going to see him in your workplace. You're going to see him in your home. You're going to see him in your family. Watch this. You're going to see him in your emotions. Woo! You're going to see him more in your prayer life. You're going to see him more in your devotional life. You're going to, you're going to bump into God everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Because you're going to see him. You're going to see him. You're going to see him in Jesus' name. You're going to see him. And you've got permission to see him. Matter of fact, you're going to give other people faith to see him. <laughs> Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. He got permission to see what nobody else could see. And I'm telling you, you got permission to see what nobody else could see. See God. See God. See God. See God. I don't know you, Travis, but I say see God, Travis. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor, amen. I never want to come here without ministering to you and your wife. Can I pray for you? Maybe you and your wife. Thank you, Jesus. Woo.
I did bring a gift for you too, uh, for your church. Chris, would you just give that to Pastor A for me? This is from our church to you guys. I, now when I travel, I just, I learn, I want to bless every house that we go to. And so at Way Family Church, that's just part of who we are. We want to we wanna bless and we always want to give back. We want to bless and we always want to give back. I believe 2023 is going to be a year for you guys where the Lord is going to solidify more in you than he ever has before. Exactly who you are. Watch this. And it's going to result in the greatest rest that you've ever had. And this is what I'm telling you. This, this, seems, this seems almost contradictory. You are going to do more this year out of rest than you've ever done out of your natural strength. I'm telling you. I'm t- you're going to do more out of rest than you've ever done out of your natural strength. And as you rest, watch it, in the finished work, <laughs> you're going to see things get finished all around you. Like I've been trying to do that. I've been looking for that. How do I make that? No, you're going to rest in the finished work. The finished work, it matters immensely in our identity. It matters immensely in our ministry. It matters, it matters immensely in our marriages. It's everything. It is finished. Actually, the Bible says it was finished before the foundations of the world. It was finished. Pastor, you know what Adam failed to do? When Adam was created on day six, he didn't have to make one blade of grass. He didn't have to make one tree. He didn't have to make one animal. He didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was enjoy the finished work. And because he failed to rest in what was finished, he lost what was given to him. But I see you guys resting more this year. And I want to say this, that actually means physically too. It actually means physically, too. You're going to rest. Hebrews 3 and 4 says that Israel fought to enter into rest, and they missed it. Because you don't fight to enter into rest. When I want to go to sleep, you know what I do? I take a posture of sleep. I take a posture of rest, and then I enter into rest. And this year, the Lord's changing your posture. I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody else. I almost see you like you've been this mighty soldier, and you are. But I believe the real revelation of a son and daughter is going to hit you. And before we're ever soldiers, we're sons and daughters. Hear me. And I'm telling you in the kingdom, sons and daughters get more done. We always talk about Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. That's Ephesians 6. (laughs) Why don't everybody ever tell us about Ephesians 1 and 2? Where we're seated in heavenly places. So my warring is not on the earth of me swinging a sword. My warring is me being rested in heavenly places as a son. And I see the Lord saying, I'm changing your posture from a warring soldier. And you're going to be a seated son. 
And out of a seated position, hey, out of a seated position, I'm giving you revelation that only comes to seated sons and daughters. And I'm telling you, this is going to overflow from your life and the ripple effects will be upon the congregation that you lead. You will hear stories of healing in marriages. You will hear stories of healing in bodies. You will let, there will literally be mental healings happening because it's coming from seated sons. It's coming from seated sons. Jesus, you're going to have more strength this year than you've ever had before. But you're going to rest more than you ever had before. But you're going to get more done than you've ever done before. And the Lord says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your curtains. And strengthen your stakes. And make room for what you believe I'm going to do. Watch this, watch this, and rest all the while that you do it. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your curtains. Strengthen your stakes. And rest all the while you do it. Because <laughs> you can't take credit for this. I'm going to take credit for this. Have a seat. Have a seat. Before you ever came to Plano, it was already finished. Before you ever came to Plano, I had a people waiting. Before you ever came to Plano, there were words over this region waiting for a son and daughter to finally have a seat. Shoo. A king don't have to stand up and swing a sword to show his authority, but he can sit on his throne. And wear his crown. And they say, that's the king. And I'm telling you, you are a son in this area, in this region. Amen. You will get more done from rest than you ever did from work. Sure. Come on, one more time, guys. Together, let's sing Abba.